0: This episode is brought to you by GME. Since 1959, GME has been an Australian-owned family company and remains the only Australian manufacturer of UHF CB radios, with their products designed, engineered and manufactured in Sydney's northwest. GME's products cover a range of recreational activities, from fishing to four-wheel driving and touring, in addition to catering for heavy vehicles and agriculture. GME have released a limited edition range of pink products to raise money for the McGrath Foundation to assist in their tireless efforts of funding regional breast care nurses and supporting families in communities across regional Australia. You can find out more by finding them on Facebook, Instagram or at gme.net.au. Ariat boots and clothing work hard, look good and are so comfortable there's never a need to slow down. Visit ariat.com.au today.
1: We all have that one friend who is a total larrikin and for the people of Central Australia, that friend is Ben Hayes. Ben is the fifth generation of the Hayes family on Undulia Station, the oldest pastoral lease in the Northern Territory, and while being a steward of the land and an active member of his local community comes with countless responsibilities, Ben doesn't let them weigh him down or get in the way of having a bit of fun. In this episode, Ben shares yarns from throughout his life, and as you'll come to see, while his heart is made of pure gold, there's always room for a little bit of mischief to be made. To start our chat, I asked Ben what he was like as a child, and well, I guess the answer really was no surprise.
2: I was an absolute golden child, I think I was. I don't know. You'd have to ask my mother and father, I suppose, or in my siblings. Uh, my siblings would say I was bloody sport. I would say because I'm the youngest of the family that uh, my parents kept trying to have children until they found one they liked. Which is me, (laughs) pulled up when they found one they liked.
1: Or did they get to you and they're like, oh, this is just getting expensive. We just give up.
2: (laughs) They might have got to me and done one another one. I have no idea. Um, no, I think I was, I was all right. Um, I had an absolute rip snorting of a childhood. Didn't we got up to a bit of mischief, but we just, just typical bush kids. We just had fun. Like everything was fun. It was, even work was fun.
1: I have a feeling you would have been like a fairly outgoing, bubbly child relative to, say, someone that was more shy and, you know, kind of wouldn't, you know, there's the kids that won't make eye contact and shake your hand. I imagine you would have been like the little life at the party. Just because oh. that's just who you are as an adult, though, so I just imagine.
2: Yeah, we we just, I don't know, because we, we've mingled with a lot of people and it's a funny thing because bush kids don't actually get a childhood as such because they're mixing with, adult staff all their time, all the time. And it's, um, bush kids find it hard when they go to boarding school because they got to go back and talk to kids that don't understand what they're on about. If you know what I mean, it's because they've only ever grown up with adults and then to revert back to a kid when you go to boarding school, it's a bit tough.
1: So were the only kids on the station when you were growing up? Was that just your siblings?
2: When we were young, real young, um, dad's youngest brother was living here with his son, Peter. Um, and then they moved on. I think it must have been late seventies, early eighties, there somewhere. They moved on, and um, so it was only us and the siblings. And but we were Andui and Deep Well tied together, sort of through the grandparents and and the and the business, I suppose. And we spent a lot of time down there as well. And so we had a fair a lot to do with the Deep Well crew. But we were lucky as kids. The first couple of years of my siblings, I suppose, they'd done a bit of um, school there but i went to primary school in town so i was i had the best of both worlds i'd go to school in town and then um come home and help on weekends and stuff we never got to play any sport or anything like that it was always work but work was it, it was our fun it was it wasn't work if you know what i mean like and even now it's not it's not work it's just fun it's like we'd go to town and and, and do school in town on monday to through to friday friday afternoon we'd be home back out in the camp and then, um, mustering all weekend and in, really enjoyed it. Like, and you, the trouble is we used to ride an old stock saddles and it rubbed the shit out of your legs and the, your calves would be bleeding and everything else, but we thought it was all right. And, and then by Monday, Monday morning, off to go to school, you're walking along like you've been, something's <laughs> happened to you. <laughs> and, and then by Friday afternoon, it, it sort of healed up a bit and then you're back in it again. Just like, in
1: time to rub it all off
2: again. Yeah, and, it, and like, it was so good. and. I actually have, I remember years ago, I had a cousin and a, and, or a couple of cousins that had come from interstate and, um, they were in the camp with us. Well, they, with, and I was still doing school because typical bloody school holidays never m- matched state schools. And, um, any anyway, rate, they were in the camp and I don't know, we must, mum must have sent out a mob of, um, stores to the camp and there was a Milo tin there and on the silver part of the Milo tin, I wrote, I wrote to the dad. I said, oh, can I have some time off school, please? I wrote <laughs> I wrote it on top of this milo. But when I got out in the camp on the weekend, nobody had opened it. So. Oh,
1: oh, so you you done it on like the little silver alpha bit, which then you kind of cover up with the tin yeah, lid. Yeah, What a sneaky little <laughs> yeah,
2: message. Yeah, I know. And it's like, oh, bugger me. I missed that. And then <laughs> another time me and me, mate, Doug's. We, we were learning to ride a horse and, uh, the camp went out mustering and we we're riding around in the yard and we, we thought we were a bit smart after uh, 10 minutes, I suppose. We thought we knew what we were up to. You know, he was riding his little pony out and I, I let open and close the gate. And as I swung on the back of this pony, he bolted and he little shitty tried to wipe us off from some trees. And uh, we hung on there, all right? And we, and he was heading straight back to the plant, plant horses. And where, where the camp was, and, um, everyone else was out mustering, and he, he sort of propped right on a fence, and we both hit the deck, and my sister at the, t- she'd, um, she had a party coming up, and she'd sort of stolen a few packets of lollies, which we all, uh, well, me and Duggs, we sat down and ate all these lollies, like, we had the best feed. She got back, she got, she got the shits on big time with me and Duggs for eating all her lollies. We got when we got home after the weekend. Mum knew worked out that the lollies were missing. She got in trouble, but me and <laughs> doing got a best mate.
1: Sounds like I lo- I love your description of your childhood. It was a rip rip's not in childhood. Yeah, it was. I don't know if it's too early in the conversation to ask you this, but like you're such a happy, fun, bubbly person. Like, where does that come from? Because I think the vision a lot of people have of country blokes is that you know they just grunt and. Stoic and it's all like mm, serious and and you're just you're just so happy all the time like and but in saying that though like you're also very you, know, you have your serious moments and you've done a lot and you're on all these you know you you do all these other things but in general like all these serious things but your your general persona and personality is just happy bubbly person and it's I mean, so you, much fun you got to gotta be better
2: you know you know what? I, I, I was always told smile because it makes people wonder what you've been up to. <laughs> And it's true, like it. You, they got no idea. I if you're laughing, account- I
1: know. You told me earlier what how, what your birthday, what your next birthday is, but you just have the spirit of someone so much younger. Like you're just one of those people that are eternally young, but it, but not. I don't look it. But but, <laughs> don't have to agree with yeah, that either. Look <laughs> bad for seventy five, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, like they say, uh, growing up is uh, growing old is inevitable, but growing up is optional or whatever. And it, I feel like that's kind of like you, like. Yeah, not that you're not grown up, but you just have this, yeah. You you get
2: one crack at life, you've got to enjoy it, don't you?
1: It's just, oh, it's just fun to be sitting here. I mean, every episode is so different and everyone I talk to is so different, but it's just, I just like have this big smile on my face because I'm just bouncing off your energy. So I want to know a little bit more about your childhood. I find it uh, interesting. So you, so you're the youngest of four, is that right? Yeah, that
0: is. Yep, yep.
1: Two brothers and a sister and they did school of the air, but you got to go to school in town.
2: Yeah, they, they come, um, they did school there for a while, and then we all went to town um and school in town was great. I had the best fun in town like i had it, it, I had some really good mates'm i still mates with now um no, it was good it was really good we actually we had a few goats around here that like used to run up on the hills behind the homestead here and as a kid like we would drag them down here and time to billy carts and stuff and they'd they'd take off back up into the hills and drag yeah. us along and we had the best fun, like even galloping up and down the creek. We used to play cowboys and Indians and the the kids, other kids in the family or friends would be out on the weekend. They'd hide in the hills, in the rocks and, um, and, and pretend to shoot you and you'd roll off the back of your pony or something and you'd bang into the sand. And it's like, oh, geez, I don't know if I would now. I probably wouldn't get up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it just sounds like the best of both worlds. Like you had the station, you know, the bush kid upbringing here, but cause being so close to town being able to go into school and having those experiences with other kids and access to services it's like you had the best of both worlds did you ever feel because you are you the only one that didn't do any school of the air yep do you did you ever feel um that you missed out or anything with that because it seems to be such a rite of passage for station kids like um
2: yeah you do i suppose and i even even as um like an adult i suppose a lot we because where we are f- f- situated, I suppose, um, like you get like our kids going to school in town didn't probably get to know a lot of bush kids because they're going, but they know a lot of town kids sort of thing. But when bush and and it's it's a uh, it's they're, they're sort of, it's we're in a really funny spot. We're not we're not suburbia, but we're bloody close. Mm. And it, and and it's always people have always said to me, "Oh, you live in suburbia," I said. Yeah, but I said when our ancestors came here, everybody we must have been pretty good because you mob all followed us up. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, everyone just tried to build real close to yeah. us. But I mean, while you may be sort of, do you say, thirteen kilometers to town? Yep. But you've still got a dirt road for most of that way, and
2: she's pretty rough, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> pretty there, bloody ordinary.
1: I had to start paying attention to that one bit where there's like the little curvy arrow sign because I was coming around the bend yesterday when I was leaving, and I was like, Whoa! <laughs> too fast, too fast. Uh-huh. But it's still the same authentic station experience, though, in that, uh, you know, like not having 24, you know, until a certain time, you know, not having, uh, a telephone or having to communicate by radio, um, refrigeration, um, air conditioning, 24 hour power, all the things that anyone else experiences. It's just the difference of if you're like, oh, I really just got to run into town and get something. You don't kind of have to plan a day's trip. To uh, do oh,
2: it. we And we are very lucky, Nicole and I and, and the family really, because, we don't. We don't have to carry um, a lot of pumps on on hand. We don't have to have big stores, anything like that. Um, if you got a weekend or something and you've got no staff around, you go to town and get a pizza. Like, mm. Not a lot of people can do that.
1: And you've still got the space and the isolation. Like where we're sitting right now, it does. You couldn't tell well, at least I can't, that town is that close. Like it doesn't feel – it's not like you can hear traffic in the distance mm. or that you're on a thoroughfare and people are driving through your main access road or something all the time, so you've still got that space and isolation, but God forbid you need it. Your emergency services are so close or, I mean, one thing that's come up on the podcast a lot that is a real challenge is that if somebody needs, say, um, like – Uh, resources, you know, like psychology or something else, or they need, or, or even say you get injured and you need to have regular physio appointments or something. If you're out in a camp or out in a station somewhere, you know, it's really hard to, to manage that. Often people end up having to leave. For
2: for us, we don't even have to own a house in town because Mm, we can come home. Like it's pretty damn, it's good. We, like, we, we don't have to, and, and even just the wear and tear on your vehicles, you live 400k out of Alice Springs. To drive in on one of these shitty roads that they call a beef road. Yeah. It shakes, it rattles your car to bits. And like, we don't have, we don't get that. Like, we don't, we've only 13k into town if we've got to
1: go. On the flip side, you must get a lot of people asking if you could just do a little subdivision and carve them off 20 or 30 acres at a time.
2: Um, no, not really. We used to, but it's not anymore. And
1: I'm I'm, I'm making eye contact (laughs) with you right now.
2: (laughs) Um, but even we don't, we used to get a lot of trouble, um, with motorbike riders and that and that sort of stuff around being so close to town, um, but we fenced the, like the think track off. We fenced that off. We lost a little bit of country fencing that off, um, but that, so that's not a problem anymore. It's that's it's it's actually not as bad as it's portrayed. People portray like living close to town as the worst thing ever, but it's it's not that bad. No,
1: eh? no, I think just I mean if you were I don't know like on a because it's like a, it's a no three road to get to like, you know, when you drive to the homestead, it's like a dead end. So it's not like it's a thoroughfare where I actually, when I was driving or oh, somewhere, I think this year, as I uh, came from Perth up to Alison, I'm pretty, oh, somewhere I've driven this, oh God, I, who knows? It could be anywhere in Australia, to be honest, but driving um through on this road and I like was taking the dirt roads and stuff, but I actually like, and I, People's homesteads were like right on the main strip. Like there was this one place and I actually thought I was going on a private road. I was like, "This someone's going to come out and shoot me in a minute. And I looked up on like my little HEMA maps and I was in the right place and I kept going. But the the road literally went like through their homestead. Yeah. and I was mortified at that. Like I was like, I felt so rude for driving through there, which must happen to them all the time.
2: Yeah, I, I couldn't put up with that. No, I just really couldn't put up with, and especially with the weirdos that you get around nowadays. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, I, I wouldn't like it, and because, and I wouldn't like to have something like that either, with with um a main thrower free like like that through you, because you go out to work or something, you leave your wife and children at home, you have no idea mm. who's turning up. Whereas where we are, we're pretty lucky. We're yeah.
1: good. Yeah. Can I ask if? While you know, so there's a lot of advantages living close to town. Um, and like you said, it's it can be painted. The disadvantages can kind of be blown out of proportion. How do you go with, I suppose, in that ballpark of trespass or damage to you know maybe like gates being left open, fences being cut, or cattle being taken?
2: Um, we get a lot of that. Like not a lot, we get a bit of it. Like fences cut. Um. You can put a mob of steers or cattle into a paddock and go and get them out and they're not all there. Like there's cattle that like, cause the fences have been cut and they've gone. Yeah. Um, you do get a few killers done. Um, probably more than it should be. Uh, and, and you do get like trespassing, like getting around and everything else. But if you let it get to you, you'd go mad. So you, 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 yeah. you can't, you just got to be pretty casual about it.
1: Is that just something you have to sort of budget for? In a way, like, well, I guess mentally, but also financially in a way that you expect, you know, however many head a year to kind of yeah not come back through I'm, the yards because people are
2: literally- I was listening to a, to a bloke the other day talking about the train kill, killing a lot of cattle. Ah, uh, yep. Not a lot of people probably think of that. And I think to myself, you know, he probably loses more than I do. Yeah. But it's a cost of doing business.
1: And if you're listening to this, Gus, I ran into him in Kmart the other week and we had a quick yarn... He was stuck at the register, couldn't leave. He's going to do a podcast on it. Probably not that keen, but now it's out here on the airwaves. So he's going to do one. Yeah. <laughs> that's you, Gus Mackay on Viera station. There's no, no questions with anyone now. <laughs> yeah. I, I just did wonder about that. Cause I know that's a problem that people face ev- everywhere. Like I, there's, I don't really know many stations that haven't had animals taken, it's, it's,
2: it's everywhere. everywhere. It, and I don't think it's only the territory. I think it's.
1: Oh, and W, yeah, yeah, yeah. don't. It's, it's everywhere. It's um, but I just wondered if being closer to town with a greater population, if the if you just get a few more of people that are kind of ballsy enough to come out and do it, whereas we if do. you're out whoop whoop, it might just be other people kind of living locally. Yeah. And we used
2: to lose a lot when the avatars was going in town. Oh, but it's it's since that's shut down, we we oh, still so do you'd lose
1: like lose like live cattle. Sorry. Oh no, yeah, they'd yeah. come out and
2: the old ab workers would come out and butcher them. On a oh,
1: oh, because they had the skills to do it. I thought you meant they were taking a live beast, um, to go through the abattoir. No. Okay. So yeah, there's some positives, negatives. You know, I guess it's all a bit of a balance about, um, living close to town. I want to ask you, I suppose one of the things that is positive is that you got to go into town more often. Um, probably were, <laughs> I love the look on your face. Like right now, you're like, I don't know where this is going. And you look really concerned. Well, I just, I believe that you met your wife in town. So is yeah. that correct? Yeah, that is correct. I was wondering if you could tell us the story. Cause I'm just wondering if you were at Whoop Whoop, you might not have, um, gone into town as often and you might have missed that opportunity to meet her.
2: Uh, I probably met her when I was doing my trade. Like once I, cause I went away to boarding school in Adelaide. I left in year 10. I was smarter than the teachers. Well, I thought it was and I probably they thought it was too. I don't know if they thought it was. <laughs> they probably was happy to get rid of me. Um, I came back and I'd done a trade as a sheet metal worker with Dallas Beer Sheet Metal in Alice Springs. Really enjoyed it. Absolutely had a great time there. Great bunch of blokes, learned a hell of a lot that even today you utilize and still know about. And just the finesse, like the, the, he done, he done really nice, neat work and it's, it's nice to carry on doing neat work, um, and I probably met Nicole in there somewhere. I have no idea where we actually oh. first met, um, and then um, on on my eighteenth birthday, we had my, my it was my eighteenth birthday and my parents' twenty fifth wedding anniversary. And we had a big party in the creek, and she didn't came. She was invited, I think, but didn't come out. But she rang. And, um, my grandmother was home, but she must've come back from the party and she took the phone call because only old, old landline then, no mobiles, and, um, took the phone call and the next morning she gave me the message that Nicole had rang. And that must've been on a Sunday morning and, um, Monday, about lunchtime, I suppose, or Monday after, whenever, it must've been Monday lunchtime, I, uh, wheeled in there and, into where she was working, had a hairdressing shop and walked past all the other girls that were working there and she was down the back washing somebody's hair and I hit her up if she wanted to go out on a, on a date, I suppose. Oh my God. It, like, pretty ballsy, I thought. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be game enough to do it now. And, um, anyway, so that was right. So yeah, we agreed on that and. So I was taking her out on the Friday night. So I went in on Monday. Well, she wanted to contact me, but couldn't because she didn't have my number. I I was living in town actually with a couple of mates and, uh, you know, picked up Friday night and we went and seen the movie driving Miss Daisy. (laughs) I remember that though. It's like, and, um, yeah. And that was from then on, we've been a couple, I suppose.
1: I. Love that so much. So, were you expecting her to come to your party? Like when she didn't show up on that on that Saturday night? Were you just like, oh, she's not here?
2: Uh, Probably not. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I was probably inebriated, I suppose, and forgotten. I don't know. You're supposed to
1: say I was heartbroken and I drank my sorries away because she didn't turn up. Uh, And just imagine if like Nana hadn't passed on the message. I know.
2: know. Oh, I would have had a good life, eh? (laughs)
1: This is, this recording is like a permanent record, (laughs) man. Oh, Nicole, I'll just cut out this little clip for you. So anytime you need to have the upper hand of a band, you can play this (laughs) one clip. I love that. Um, yeah. So you went into town and asked her out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hit her up. And and she,
1: so she said yes, obviously. Oh, good good thing she called to apologize and say, sorry, I couldn't make it. How many people these days don't come to an event and don't bother to, to say, Oh, sorry, that something happened or.
2: Yeah. She, she was lucky she said yes because, bloody hell, she was going to miss out on this. Look, no
1: worries. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably good she didn't come to the party because you probably would have been a hot, drunk mess, and yeah. she would have been like, ill boy, like, no way, For whereas a... she got a nice sober you on a Monday walking into town yeah. and was probably much more impressionable. Yeah, that's right. Can I ask you, why did you choose to go and do that – Do you say sheet metal work? Is that the name of the trade? Yep. Why did you go to – Choose to go and do a trade when you're fifth generation on this property, and did you know at that point in time that you were gonna? I guess well, you're one of four siblings. Like, did you know who was gonna kind of take over and you, or did you have plans that you're like, this is? I'm gonna be a station person no matter what. Like, I just wonder why go and get a trade if this is. I I
2: I always wanted to go back on the land. Um, I just I just had the best childhood, so I always wanted to get back working on the bush. Um. My father and mother both said we weren't allowed home until we'd done a trade. Um So Richie, the oldest, he's a diesel mechanic and he's a butcher. Janie, she's a nurse and I went and done sheet metal.
1: Were they just doing that because then they're like, yes, we don't have to like take our stuff to the mechanic anymore and if something happens we don't have to call the RFDS. Yeah. Like.
2: <laughs> I don't know. But I, but I always think to myself every kid that is a family-owned op- station kid Needs to go and don't come, like after you finish school, don't come straight home. He, he should go and work somewhere else just to learn how to work with other people instead of being a spoiled little shit working with mum and dad and being king pin. He needs to go and get his ass kicked somewhere else and learn how to, to treat people. I, that's just, that's my opinion. I think that's how it should be. Um, it might not be the right one. I don't know, but that's how I feel. So there, that's how we got about it. But I remember in primary school, I went to primary school at Breitling and it was pre all them houses there. And I could see the sheet metal shop where I wanted to work. I could see it from the school and I knew that's where I wanted to go and do my trade. So even when I went to boarding school, I knew I wanted to go to this trade. And anyway, I'd, we'd organised for me to start when after year 10. So it was a bit of a waste of money sending me to boarding school. And I was... Not really keen to be there, I can assure you.
1: What, um, actually, before we move on to a bit more about your trade, I know your kids have dropped you in it and told me there's a few stories from school that you like to that you know are kind of famous within the family. You wanna, you wanna <laughs> share some of these stories? <laughs> oh, what was the time maybe perhaps you were cleaning a teacher's oh, car? Oh, yeah, that talk? was
2: in the boarding house. I, I have no idea what the hell I'd done wrong. I'd done something wrong, and, <laughs> and, um. I'd got in a bit of strife and I had to clean his car. We had a big oval in front of the boarding house, middle, middle boarding house, I suppose. And, um, while I was washing his car, he had an old Valiant charger and the window was down a little bit. So I stuck the hose in there for a while while I rubbed a bit of soap on it. And then, <laughs> then I stuck the hose up the exhaust for a while. Anyway, I cleaned the car and it was sitting out in the oval and, um, went back in and told him I'd cleaned it and he walked out and, he looked at it and he said, Oh, it's done a not a bad job. He opened the door and it sort of water rushed out of it. <laughs> and he said, Oh shit, a bit of water in here." I said, Oh, geez. Sorry about that. And now we're sitting, all the kids were sitting on like pine log bench in front of this, in front of the boarding house and, and the car was in the oval. And we're all sitting there waiting to go walk up to the main boarding house for lunch on a, on a Sunday. And he hopped in the car and he started her up. And it's, it's bubbling away the water and it's just black stuff dribbling out the exhaust. And as he went to drive off, she give a bit of a bang and she covered us all in this black soot and <laughs> we all hit the deck <laughs> and he just looked behind him. He kept putting off. It was like, <laughs> and another, another time we, the same boarding house master, he was a, also a dive master. So he's a scuba diver and, um, for us boarders, it was, um, Something to do over the winter. We, we all went and done in, um, a scuba diving course. He organized it for us and we had a tutor in the boarding house that was a proper snitch and he was, he was a nice person. And, um, you know, when you're doing your diving course in Adelaide, there was a, um, a pool that was 13 meters deep and we all keyed up with our wetsuits and goggles and bloody tank on their back, and we down, we down, 13 metres down this thing, and everybody looks the same. Well, I worked out what, who this shooter was, and he, uh, he annoyed me. I did, We didn't see eye to eye. So he's down the bottom of this tank, this this bloody uh, pool, and it's 13 metres deep, and we're swimming around, and I, and I knew who he was and what he looked like. And he's sitting there, and, I, and they're telling us all, trying to talk to a sign language, and I snuck up behind him, and I turned his air tank off. Oh, oh. <laughs> He popped to the top real quick.
1: <laughs> that could have ended in like a manslaughter charge or a second degree murder or something.
2: I know, but I look at it now and think, oh, well, that was probably not the smartest thing to do. But as a kid, it was like, and I, my, cause all my mates thought I was a hero. They, cause they all didn't like him either. Then he shot to the top like a rubber duck. Oh <laughs> my gosh. <laughs>
1: <gasps> oh, I'm not a very good swimmer, and I don't like staying underwater for long. So that I'm just like right now, my lungs are like. Whoa, whoa.
2: Yeah, so we did. That. We yeah, we had a lot of fun at school. We had a lot of fun. Like me, me and a mate, we we found the school stash of grog, we, which we borrowed, <laughs> and and the school had a massive big hedge, and and in Adelaide during the winter, it's pretty damn cold, and a lot of this grog that we'd found had a had a lot of port in it, so we. We'd have ourselves a little nip of that on the way up to the board now for, for dinner.
1: <laughs> what year is this in? We're noting that you left in year ten, which is still yeah. young, either way. Yeah,
2: yeah, oh, yeah we, we were still.
1: I could imagine you doing this in year eight though as well. Like...
2: <laughs> we were still shit and yellow, so
1: we're doing it right. <laughs> oh my gosh, I um, yeah, I can actually. That sounds right on brand for you. Like that's yeah, no surprises there. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, you got it. We had a lot of fun.
1: I feel like if there was some event. Well, actually, perhaps later on this year. So if Andoya has the big party for its 150th, or if you have a big party for your birthday this year, or if there was some kind of industry conference or field to where everybody went out and it was like, you know, something that went for a few days and we went to you know, stay in the same hotel, I just imagine you'd be the one. Like, I feel like even today you could still pull some pranks. I'd want to team up with you, though, to be honest. Like, I'm like, if you have a big party for Andoya's 150th and there's all these people camping out here instead of going back to town, I will come around with you and, I don't know, put, jelly or snakes or whatever in, like, the bottom of their swags or something. Yeah, even the kids,
2: I'm always pranking the kids doing stuff.
1: Yes, there is (laughs) a…
2: Yeah, we had a um, cubby house here and, you know, the three older kids decided to go and camp in the cubby house one night and, you know, they're in there and I snuck down under and the cubby house was, like, not a tree house but it was up on stilts and uh, I snuck down there and I climbed underneath this cubby house and… I got a, like an old tin peas tin and, and a bit of string sort of in the bash through the middle of it. And, um, you just pull the string and it makes an absolute eerie sound. It's, 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 it's pretty scary, shitty sound. And I was under it and I was, I'd pull the string and it'd make this sound. And they're they in the cubby house wobbling on like you wouldn't believe, talking away. And soon as I'd done it, they sort of went deathly quiet. And they're looking around, and then I did it again, and then the, and Nikita starts swearing like, "Holy gee, she could swear!" And I'm thinking, "Oh, a little girl with pretty little girl butter wouldn't melt in your mouth, you can swear." I don't know where you learnt that. Must have been your mother. <laughs> anyway, the curtains come open, and they're looking around, and I went quiet again, and I let them settle down a bit further, and then I, I did it again. The next minute the door of the cubby house come open, three little kids, boom, into the house. (laughs) And they got in the house and Nicole's trying to settle them down. I come in laughing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I want to be on team, Ben. Like next time there's an industry event, I'll work with you to do the pranks, but not just because I think it would be really fun, but also I just don't want to be the one getting pranked. (laughs) Like, So if I'm on your side, then I know I'm safe. Oh, gosh. So coming back to town when you're doing your trade. So you again would have been fairly young, 15, 16 leaving school. And were you living in town by yourself or with other fellas? Uh, or? mum and
2: dad had a house in town and I lived in there for a while with a really good family friend that's passed on now, but she had a hairdressing shop.
1: Oh, okay. So she, you had adult supervision. I guess is what I'm getting at.
2: Yeah, I did. Okay. She <laughs> was, I feel
1: like you need it. <laughs> she,
2: she was a good stick, um, strict old girl. Um, but no, we, it was good. And I used to, <laughs> had to ride my bloody push bike for the first six months, six, eight months of it. Then I got a car and I was zooming around everywhere. Um, and then I sort of moved, I moved home for a bit, drove in and out of town and then moved back in because I thought mum was too strict. And then, <laughs> and then I went back and forth a few times and then, um, Yeah, met Nicole and sort of stayed in town and then ended up back out here and, and, um, and then ended up marrying Nicole, I suppose.
1: Yes. And there is an amazing picture up on the wall, which
2: when I was skinny, (laughs) I was skinny little dude. eh? there.
1: Well, you feel like you're a big dude now. Are you just? Young looking. <laughs> yeah, I oh, very younger. I... You just had like a darker mop of yeah. – well, you still have a fair amount of hair on your head, but it was just a darker, you know, like – It's
2: a bit grey now, It's
1: very it? um, like, very 80s. Not like curls or anything, though, but very like um, like Rob Lowe or the Rat Pack kind of look like. She's yeah. turned me grey. I'm hoping that all these comments will just um, entice Nicole to come on the podcast herself so she can set the record straight.
2: 30 years next yeah. year. I've been married
1: long oh. time. So – You're in town, doing your trade, all loved up. When do you come back home and how does that all kind of play out being one of four kids? Like, I know you've got your other brothers are on places as well now, but I guess that's the age old, especially being the sixth generation. Like, it's all fine when you're William and Mary. Fifth, Fifth, sorry. Close enough. I just thought you were that old. Sorry. Oh, no, I thought you were that young. There Uh you go. You know, you've got William and Mary, the the very first generation, and they come and, and then you know they have kids, but they've got a few properties, so that's okay. But then they have kids. And I mean, this is as that's the hard thing, I guess, about a family place is as you go down the generations, there's more and more people, and you can only split up a place so many times. So, was that like a tricky thing to navigate, or was it just kind of easy? Like you're going to go here and um, you're gonna go here?
2: No, and- <clears throat> because when I left my apprenticeship, um, Richie and Andy were both working here. My sister was at Lambie, I reckon, at the time, and. Um, Anyway, so I came home, um, when I, cause I, when I came home, I was just living as just a roo and, um, Richie, I suppose was the boss and me and Andy did what we were sort of told. And then we sort of progressed along. I, my grandmother was living here at the same time after, cause my grandfather just not long passed away. Um, and then when Nicole and I got married, I we moved out here together, um, and we bought a house in town. Or the family, the property bought uh, my grandmother a house in town. So we moved in there, and um, and then not long after we sort of worked around here for a while, and then um, we bought the gardens. We looked at trying to buy Anne Blinden, but we ended up getting the gardens, and Andy moved out then, and it was sort of. Floated. We floated between here and the gardens. Andy stayed at the gardens, but Richie and I would go out most from there and back here and sort of floated around for a while, and then I ended up floating between the two places while Richie stayed here, also doing a lot of maintenance and a lot of work here. And then that's when, after a while, we sort of cranked the grape farm up, and Richie went and run the grape farm, and I sort of moved in here and started running you and Andy running the gardens.
1: So it was quite... Like a, um, organic, holistic, you know, progression of how things unfolded. It wasn't like, uh, cause I just feel like in so many, you know, stories you hear about succession planning, it's like, I want this and, or it's only fair if I get this and you get this and you get, you know, like it's very, you know, and people feel the need to kind of get it all set in stone pretty quickly and, and whatnot. But it sounds like you guys kind of all worked together really well, built up the places as like a group and then kind of, and, you know, just kind of just fell into place.
2: Yeah, I suppose we did. And, and it's a, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know whether we're different than anyone else. I have no idea. Probably not. It's just, um, you get on. It's, it comes back to, um, family. I suppose siblings get on. It's always when you throw the dynamics of partners into things, that's when it gets a bit difficult. Um, but no, it's just how we worked it. I suppose it worked well for us.
1: I find it interesting that you just say, like, you know, siblings get on, but I don't think they always do. Um, and I wonder—is that do you think you and your brothers are so close and were able to work together so well because your childhood was like you had all those yeah, times to prob- work together and have fun?
2: Probably was, and, and probably our parents um, being like, because our grandmother was the glue that held us—a grandmother and grandfather—and when he died, the grandmother, she was a greatest old woman. Like, but she, her and him. Our grandparents, not only did they have our respect as as grandkids, but so many people in the district just loved them both. And, and um, they they grew a lot of kids up, I suppose, or took a lot of kids under their wings and um, done a lot for the community, a lot for a lot of young people and give a lot of young people a good start in life. And when they both died, it affected a lot of people, not only just us. It affected a lot of friends that they they'd had had. And I suppose... That's, that's the glue of the, that holds the families together is the pre- generation previous, I suppose, is, is what holds everyone together.
1: So what was it about your grandparents that had that influence on you? Like, was it for some people, I think, uh, that, say perhaps they could have been really loving or for other people, you know, they the people that influence them are, like quite scary and strict and that, you know, or, or had their respect that way. Like, there's different ways that can play out. What was it? Um, how did your, how did they go about it? Uh,
2: They were bloody good to us. Um, well, (laughs) they worked the guts out of us. Absolutely worked the shit out of us. But we thought we were doing the best thing we could for them. And they got the best out of us, I suppose. Like as a grandparent, parents, like we had a massive chook house here and we used to supply the town eggs. And as a kid did, when we'd get home from school, we had to feed the chooks and, and then go and get the old milk and carry in on a little motorbike and bring her in and separate the calves. So dad would go down and milk it overnight. Uh, the next morning and and then and then like and then they'd put the milk on the um on the stove all day and 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 pasteurise it. And then when we'd get home, there would be cream on top. So we'd run our fingers through it and and then we'd have to go and collect all the eggs and stuff and bring them back and wipe the shit off them and so they'd put them in egg cartons and send in. And if you wandered around anywhere on the property or around the homestead, especially, and you said, Oh, I'm bored. Old Gran used to always say, grab a rake, go rake that chook house. Well, you learned to say that never. You just shut your mouth and you go and find something to do. That chook house was that bloody big and you don't want to go and rake it. So, <laughs> it was a sh- so you off you went and you found something you didn't go near, any- but every night it was a funny thing because my grandfather's camp would be out camping and my grandfather'd have, he'd always have a well bodied tray. Toyota with a bloody chain dingling in the back. And we we're always trying to work out how, yeah, putting the chains in hose and everything else, trying to stop the dingle. And he'd always come home. And as kids, we would, it was sort of our job, I suppose. They'd sit down and, and the TV, and the only TV we had was, was like black and white. And then we got, we got a little bit up market and we got color and, and, that they'd sit down and we only had ABC and the test pattern sort of thing, and ABC News would come on, and, and you weren't allowed to say anything. You just shut up and they'd watch the news. But as kids, we had to always make their drink at night, and they used to have scotch on the rocks, or whiskey and soda, or but or whiskey on the rocks, and oh sorry, yeah, whiskey, and um, so you know we'd make their drink for them, and for payment. My old grandmother used to say, Oh, you can help yourself to a little bit of chocolate. Well, in her fridge, she had every block of chocolate that Woolworths or anything else would have. She had every type of chocolate. So you'd go in there and you'd break a little bit bigger piece than you probably should have off. <laughs> that was your payment for making their drink at night. <laughs> and yeah, so that's, and then, and then like he, you'd to go out in the morning with the old grandfather and he'd take you around here, there and everywhere. And he taught us a lot of skills. Like he was a, he was an amazing man with animals. He, the things that he knew, like he could drive around in this hill country and in this old Toyota, and he'd know where all his cattle were, where they ran, and you'd be, you'd be out there mustering on a horse, and you'd, typical bloody kid, you're always thirsty, coming in with a fair mob of cattle, riding in, bringing them into the tail and mob, and he'd meet you, and he'd look at all the cattle coming in, and he'd say, Oh, there's a cow out there with a spot on her tail or something, she's not in the mob, she runs under this tree, so you'd have to turn around, and you'd go back and get, you never got a drink. And we we're always munging for a drink. Like we were thirsty and you could see the bun cart and you were hoping to get a drink, but turn around and ride back out and go and find this bloody cow and you'd get her and bring her in. And yeah, it was just, and we just loved it. We just loved it and just really like it wasn't as a kid growing up. It wasn't like even the B campaign. I was a kid during the B tech campaign and I know people done it tough during the B tech campaign. I was a kid. I enjoyed it because I was just. Chasing cattle and having fun—it was just excitement for a kid. Like, oh, we had no responsibilities. It was just go camp out and get up in the morning. We'd get up bloody early. The old horse tail of Jimmy Hagen usually have the horses pulled up for us, and and um, old old camp cook old Robin sharby would have the cook bun like something ready for us for the break and we'd all get up and go and catch your, have breaky, go and catch your horse, and off you go mustering and stuff. And it was bloody good fun.
1: It sounds like they had the right balance of being like firm and you know you know showing you the value of hard work and expecting having that expectation of you that you pull like you know pull a bit of your own weight do some work but also that kind gentle side of a grandparent that you know gives you little treats and kind oh, yeah. of cuddles and and yeah. like cuz i think it can be really easy to go to, like you know one way or the other it sounds like they kind of
2: Yeah well i frightened my grandfather when i was a little kid only like a toddler i um we had a little like a little billy cart and it must have been rain and he was looking after me, and I um I I was riding a billy cart up and down the hill there, and and I found a flower drum, and and I put the flower drum over the top of me, and the rain on the top of the flower drum, like it's like rain on the tin roof, and it, and it made I went to sleep, and they couldn't bloody find me, couldn't they? And it frightened shit out of the poor old fella. He thought I died or something happened. You know, I wasn't even a snooze under the flower drum. (laughs) Yeah, we just and it was that sort of thing. Like, um, like years ago, the cattle rushed in in, on a yard we had, and and the you know Andy and I were in the camp, and and uh, the blokes got the got the lead turned, like brought the mob back, and and we had to go from a bore on on through to Deep Well, through the pinch on the Deep Well, which is a fair hike. And Andy and I, we had cupcakes for breakfast. Like we were, we were doing all right. And um, <laughs> you anyway, know, we went through and and uh, through the pinch and actually to siphon tank on deep well. And we got to deep well, like that night back into the deep well house ten o'clock at night. Like after we led our horses, and that. it was a big day because we started early. And and see, old Gran, she used to always bring us. She was a magnificent cook, typical old bush cook, could cook, bloody anything. And she'd always. When you're in the camp, it was always good to see Gran come out with old grandpa, old Ted, because you knew they had like, um, either, um, butterfly cupcakes or, um, she used to always make these like shortbread biscuits with hundreds and thousands on top and you, and with mop icing and, or fork bickies and those sort of things. And it was always good to see her coming out when you're in the camp. <laughs> it was so nice because you knew there was something in there good or a bag of lollies. She always had lollies like, um, for kids, even for herself, but she, even up until probably she died, she'd always have licorice, all sorts. And that was, there's something that you always remember, like, about them, I suppose. And you'd go in there and you want a lolly young fella, like, and like, oh yeah, thanks, Nan. <laughs> like, Gran, all oh, that was bloody good. But, and then her and her sister, like, even when Mum uh, Gran moved to town, she, they used to do the grog run for the old timers. and the old timers girls are probably in their sixties and Gran was in her eighties. And, um, she'd be driving down, around. She'd go down there and pick up her sister and they'd go and do a, a bottle low run for the oldies. And she said, Oh, we're just getting a bit of grog for the oldies. And it's like, Gran, I think they're a bit younger than you. Yeah, know. No. <laughs> but she'd always call them the oldies. Poor old dears. She'd say,
1: <laughs> Oh, bless her. It. I think like it's so evident from hearing the stories that you're sharing that like your the family is so close. Like I know the current generation, like your kids are close amongst themselves. And then with you and Nicole, um, we've heard that, you know, you and your brothers were close growing up, you know, as kids, but also obviously close as adults because being able to work together again like that, you, you know, I, I know you said you're not sure you think everyone's like that, but I can, I it's definitely not. Um, but I know this goes back a bit. What is it? Do you think, is there anything, I know obviously there's an, it's the influence of the generation beforehand and the people that I suppose in sort of leadership roles within the family and, you know, like the, the parental figures and the way they act and behave and, and what they tell you. But is there anything that you guys have done as a family, like any sort of, I suppose rituals or um, traditions that kind of really cement that family, you know, like is it, was it like a, Sit down every night and eat dinner together. No, you know, like no exceptions. Like what was it that kind of, or?
2: Well, as, as a kid, we'd always have meals mm. at a, at a dining table. Um, <laughs> always sit down there and, and even like all the staff and all of us would all sit around a big dining table together and have a big communal me- meal. Um, and then undo is a funny thing because. Funny joint because it's always been a home to like people. And what I mean by that is come Christmas, we usually have a, even now Nicole, put on, we put on a big, like a Christmas breakfast and it's open to family and friends and whoever wants to come out for Christmas breakfast. And, and we do it every year. And, but dad used to do it as well, but we'd pick up all the old, um, what could you call them? Not the old drunks, but the old fellas in town that had nobody. We'd pick them all up and they'd camp the night or whatever. And dad would like, I remember a few of them and, and for just for Christmas to, to help them celebrate a Christmas. I suppose or something. I don't know. We've done it for, I don't know, yeah, forever. It's just, yeah, just you take in the people that are need a bit of help. I suppose. I don't know. I know.
1: It's just a really special. But, like, I, I remember – I think I said to Nikita in her episode, like, watching the kids dance with each other at the at Nikita's wedding last year, like, I was quite envious because – and I always say, like, I'm a little bit jealous of the Kardashian family, not because they're, like, rich and hot and anything, but because they're also close siblings, whereas I'm one of five and you've got five kids, but we're not particularly close, and at Nikita's wedding – um jamie who would have been like 17 at the time is out there on the dance floor dancing with all his sisters spinning them around picking them up like having you know doing that and i'm like my little brother wouldn't have done that at 17 and even now at 30 like he wouldn't do it because he'd be like ew or like too he's too cool or whatever whereas your kids are just like they're all really good friends they're not just siblings they're friends and it just seems like that's something can say with you and your brothers that this is just like a hayes family thing and yeah, it's, it's really special
2: yeah i don't know it's just it's normal for us.
1: I know. <laughs> so that's why I'm like, do you want a sixth child? <laughs> Odd numbers are unlucky. You should have even numbers. I'm available, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah, I've got my sixth child. She's called oh, <laughs> <no!
1: laughs> Nicole. That's his wife, everyone. <laughs> I think it was – I'd say she's probably say it would be the other <laughs> yeah, way yeah, around. Probably, probably would. She's yeah. like, yeah, I've got six children or five and a half. Um <laughs> Maybe you're only half a one. Oh, gosh.
2: But, yeah, it's a funny thing. Like here – like, I remember a few old, old blokes that dad would, would bring him out and even that they'd, they'd poke around the garden for a while and then you'd have celebrate Christmas with them And then it's just, I don't know, it's just what we've always done. And it's just, I don't know, I really don't know. I don't understand why we do it, but we do. And it's probably looking out for the little man that's knocked down.
1: There's a really strong sense of not just family, but also community out here, which, you know, is a testament to what you just said then or what you just said then, sorry, is a testament to that comment. Um, it, In terms of like the community and being involved, there's two things I want to ask you about now. And the first one is the Bronco branding event that you guys have held on your property for many years, which I mean running any kind of event is a huge undertaking, but when you're supplying like or donating like land and cattle and time and infrastructure and all that kind of stuff. um, But I guess, could you first off start uh just give us a little bit of a rundown of what Bronco branding is and then, and then the event that you have out here?
2: Um, uh, bronco branding, I suppose, is the old traditional way of branding your calf on a horse with a either a collar or a breastplate and with and a green-eyed rope. They use any sort of like, ropes now, but a green-eyed rope. And you'd, you'd lasso the calf and drag him up to a bronco panel and brand him, I suppose. Nowadays, we do it in cradles and every other way. So it was probably – my grandfather actually started the competition in the 80s. And it went for a bit and then, then it went up to Mount Skinner and they kept it going there for a while. And the South Australian blokes, Northern South Australian fellas, they get, they're right into it. And, um, anyway, we sort of come about it helping a mate out again, mate, just what we do. Um, and <laughs> I like to help the little underdog, I suppose. And he, he, um, was battling prostate cancer, trying to wa- trying to raise awareness for men's health, men's health. In the bush is pretty damn shit coverage, um, whereas anything on women, breast cancer, anything else, it's big money thrown at it, and it's 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 a limelight thing. Whereas men's health, there's not a lot to it. Um, so we started first couple of years, two or three, two years or three, two or three years, I can't remember now. We um we done a horse trek or ride, I suppose, from Undoola out through the hills out to Ross River, which is about probably eighty k, mm. and um just poking along and. And, um, you know, we we weren't getting the coverage, I suppose, of the recognition that we were looking for. And then a mate in town, Robbie Schmidt, he, he's always been pushing me to have a Bronco branding thing. And I said, well, we might be able to combine this. So that's how we sort of got into it, I suppose, trying to raise awareness for men's health.
1: Speaking of the – so there was a two community events I wanted to speak to you about, and I think they probably lead into each other quite beautifully because you said the Bronco branding is to raise awareness for men's health. Well, before I move on, I'll quickly ask. So I know, I know I've seen, um, like, uh, the signs and stuff out like at the Bronco branding. but what, what is actually happening to raise the awareness at the event? Is it just kind of everyone saying like this is to raise awareness or is there a call to action or do you guys have like doctors or medical services we, we, out there? We, we, we,
2: we've struggled, but we've, we did get them at one stage as doctors out there doing, um, like checks on health checks, I suppose, but it's bloody hard to get that push and the government to help along with that, Mm. very hard. The South Australians with the um, RFDS in South Australia, I have no idea what they do down there, but that is magnificent.
1: I don't understand how the RFDS operates so differently in every state and territory because South Australia is, like, phenomenal. They are – it's like a whole different organisation.
2: It's magnificent down in South Australia, whereas up here it's – it's nothing. It's, Even
1: in Queensland, I think they get a fair few. I went to a, a woman's a women's like weekend on a station one, 10 years ago, and RFDS was out there doing like you know, breast checks and all sorts of you know blood pressure and all. They they just were out there for the whole weekend, just
2: yeah. Well, that's what they do in South Australia, mm. I think. And, and they fly into these um, mm-hmm. William Creeks and, and, and yeah, for the and data and yeah, stuff, and, and it's and, so good. And it's like we can't get that, and I don't know why.
1: Same in WA, yeah. Yep.
2: So. So, yeah, and then, and then, so that's how that was all pushed along. And then, um, through Shane Muldoon, I suppose Megan going back onto your herd of hope. Yeah.
1: So this was the other community event I was going to ask you about that leads in quite nicely because it's also quite health orientated, the herd of hope. So tell us about that. And, um, Shane Muldoon is walking around here somewhere yeah, trying to avoid his turn on the podcast. I can't wait for him to listen to this and.
2: Yeah. He's, or, us. yeah, but he'll, he'll yeah, he's be on shit, the bahasan Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but how how the herd of hope come about for us? Um, Megan McLaughlin, which she's a um, she's Jim Willoughby's daughter, um, she was running the herd of hope and had the herd of hope, and she wanted to put cattle over the, uh, to, to raise awareness for it, I suppose, for so, for organ and tissue donation. Um, she wanted to raise awareness for organ and tissue donation, and she wanted to originally put cattle to walk cattle over the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And Sydney Harbour Bridge today is still a stock route. Um, any rate, the logistics of it all just got a bit messy. And the Bondi Council actually put their hand up and said, Oh, we'll have the cat. We'll, we'll help you out. So anyway, rate, we did that. We, um, that, Megan got on to us and, um, through Shane, I suppose. And we donated about, I think 30 head of cattle down to, and they went from here down to Barossa Valley first and sat there for a while and then went across to Penrith and they sat in Penrith for a couple of days and then we wheeled them in and we went and put panels up in, on Bondo Beach and, um, I don't know what them dudes are on on TV. Oh,
1: the, um, surf lifesavers? Yeah, them fellas. Yeah.
2: While we're putting up all the portable panels, they didn't come and offer to help, i can <laughs> sure, yeah. they have <laughs> strutting around there like a couple of roosters. And, um, <laughs> we, we skull dragging these bloody portable panels through the beach sand as heavy And, um, anyway, we put them all up and they come over in their little buggies wondering what we're up to. So they didn't have a clue either. Like, it was really interesting. Anyway, on the, on, I can't even remember the dates or anything else, but one morning they, um, come in early. The truck backed in and he done a magnificent job. he backed in. We unloaded the cattle and we, we had them all in portable panels, but we had them on the beach in Bondi. Just raising awareness for organ and tissue donation with a herd of hope. And we, and, uh, you know, rode around like with them on horses and stuff. And shit, we got some people there. It was massive. Really? Um, it was massive. It was unbelievable. And for me, from a bloke from Alice Springs, sticking around down there, riding around on the Bondi beach, seeing all these young Sheilas in there with their little white pointers, I was pretty excited.
1: I it was it like, like, what's a white pointer? That's a dog though, right?
2: <laughs> and you know, they're all laying back, get the white pointers out, getting red pointers, I suppose. And and um, oh, it was unbelievable. I opened my eyes. And then I, I, I walked on the Bondo beach, but I still never put my feet in the water. I'm not a real big beach person, to tell you the truth. I've never got my feet in the water yet. And, and Actually,
1: neither has Cam Williams. You need to listen to his episode because he's got some funny experiences in the ocean.
2: Yeah, I, 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 not, I, I have put and I've swum in the ocean and everything else, but I haven't touched the water in Bondi. I never touched it.
1: So. There's too many people there. I feel like you'd have cleaner water. And they were worried yeah. about a
2: bit of cow shit on the beach. And it's like, mate, what these people do on the beach is probably worse than what these few old care cow, cow shit's only a bit of grass chewed yeah, up. It's not the end yeah. of the world.
1: So was the whole herd of hope that was on the beach, was it just the 30 head from Undoia?
2: Yes, it was that time. And then um, and then Andy's donated, Andy's brother at the garden, he's donated 30, I think, heifers as well. Um, and they ended up in Adelaide. And then Megan's had to settle down because it, it got dry and with the drought and everything else. So she had to sell a few more. She, I, I can't actually, I think she's got a few left, but not a hell of a lot left anymore that she still uses.
1: That's just amazing. You know, she's wanting to hold this event in Sydney. I would think just try and get some cattle from out near Sydney way or something, but if, I wonder what was the, the draw for her to try and ask the cattle from She wanted to sy- bring
2: the bush to the city
1: oh, Okay, is
2: what it was, yeah.
1: Interesting. Yeah. And so, like, when you had the event, so you're on horseback on Bondi Beach with these cattle, were they allowed out of the panels or did they have to kind of stay? No,
2: they had to stay in the panels. Yep. We actually got in a bit of strife because we went out and without the – on the horses, went out and rode around sort of thing and the OH&S person, I don't think, uh. we didn't think about it, like typical from here, we don't think about OH&S too much. It's- <laughs> <laughs> and, and they they were a little bit narky about it, but it worked out, nobody got hurt.
1: Um, well, clearly, like... They don't have a OH person at Bondi every other day because then otherwise the life surf lifesavers wouldn't be having wouldn't no, be a job right. like that's right so at least you know if you fall off you've got some surf yeah. lifesavers right there for you. And
2: Nicole had the job of walking around picking up the shit with oh, a no. poor old girl.
1: Oh, that would have been thirty head of cattle, that would have been <laughs> yeah,
2: and the horses too.
1: Yeah. If we oh. weren't
2: we weren't allowed to leave any of that behind on the on the beach at all and so that all had to be dug up and picked up and
1: So how many people Involved in it, so I know like Nikita was there, you and Nicole. Like, how many actually people involved in the Ho- herd of hope would have been there? A fair mob,
2: yeah. Um, I don't really,
1: ten of us, I suppose ten, fifteen of us. I'd actually. That's incredible. Couldn't tell you. Like that I mean, I know you say a fair mob, but really that's small numbers, like for to organise and and logistically make the whole thing happen. I, and then
2: it was, was probably- it was it was an eye opener. It was so good, and there was me and Gina Howard and. um that is such an authentic background noise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me and Gina come down from the territory, and um, Lindsay Craig was there, and um, but all the, and old Jim was on the horse, but all the other riders were transplant. Oh, I'm pretty sure, yeah, they're all wow. transplant recipients.
1: Wow, that's yeah. really special.
2: Yeah, like one old bloke down there, he'd had a, like a new heart put in. And it's like, mm, like they do all right these fellas, eh? Yeah. But, but Jesus, the poor bastards, they rattle a bit because the the drugs they got to take for rejection is unbelievable
1: wow and so so there probably would have been like hundreds of people down there you reckon like oh
2: there was a big mob wow and was
1: it like (laughs) No, you did you did good um. (laughs) Was there like a moment during the event where like somebody did a talk or something or like could people come up and look at the – like how did you kind of get the message across to people? Um, Because
2: uh, – and Bondi, you're up a bit higher where the walkway was so we didn't have to put panels up there But and the panels were just a big loop around I suppose right on the water's edge. And um, so people were sitting up on the the, um, concrete I suppose looking down Mm -hmm. at us. We did get wind the day before – that, uh, the greenies were going to throw a bit of paint at us. Oh. Um, they never turned up. Lucky they didn't. They might have got a knock on the nose. Um, no, there was an, actually an old girl. There was a bloke down there that was causing a bit of grief. And one old girl down there, she contacted him and, and like an old traditional woman down there and told her, to, told him to pull his head in. Um,
1: like, like in an activist kind of way. He yeah. was causing grief.
2: Yeah. And she told him him to pull their head in, so that even turned up actually, and it was good because, because because we don't care, we didn't we don't we don't discriminate between black, white, and brindle. Like if and and a lot of indigenous have um, problems with diabetes and need kidney transplants mm. and everything else. So we don't we and and that's why this old girl pulled these activists up. I think.
1: But were they sorry? Were they animal activists then? Yeah. yeah okay. I just think like, I get. I, I get it in a sense where they're coming from, but also like, this is something for, it's not like you're slaughtering the cows on the beach and it's just f- to promote organ donation. Like, it's not like you're like, oh, look at our new beef product. And this is like some kind of little gimmick to
2: well, there people promote there that, a new, that, you know. Yeah. Well, people there that thought we use the cows for the human.
1: Oh, for the tra-
2: transplants. Oh, God, mate. Well, you want to get out and get a life. Surely <laughs> it's not that stupid.
1: Well, you can have um, pig valve, uh, porcine valves and bovine valves. Um, for heart trans, some kind of transplants. Yeah. I, I only know this from binge watching several, several seasons of Grey's Anatomy. I'm basically half a doctor. Um, you want me to operate on you in time? <laughs> if you get desperate, don't, don't go 13 Ks into town. Just call me and I'll come out.
2: <laughs> Dr. Coombs?
1: Yeah. I've watched enough Grey's Anatomy. I'm pretty sure I'd be all right with a, the- with a vet kit or something, but, um, you would think, you know, like, yes, if, if at times parts of animals are used, we're not going to kill them just so we can get that one bit of valve to save someone. Like, it'll be as a byproduct of, which, if anything, is quite good because it's reducing any waste. Well, like. And that's,
2: and that's the thing. Like, you get a lot of these animal activists and the byproducts, like ha- having a crack at us, like vegans and that about eating meat, but the byproducts of beef is unbelievable or any animal is, mm. is massive. And they don't realise that, like uh, insulin, I think is made through beef, like for those
1: sort of things. People don't China cups, yeah. Um, oh, I don't just know, everything. glue, like everything. Uh, there's is, so many things. You nothing's wasted. Yeah, there's Nothing so many things is that it would be. It is actually very hard to be a true vegan. vegan because there's like it's not just about the food you consume. You've got all the fibres and then all the other materials that say so whether it goes into your vehicle or any other kind of infrastructure. Like it, it is quite difficult. Yeah. Um, Gotta love those like pictures you see where it's like a picture of a cow and then it's just lists all the things that it yeah. goes into. I do want to ask you. Oh, I'm just just checking my notes. Um, I'll say I'll do this bit now uh, before we get into the sort of towards the end. You do some good impressions. Oh. Or really, just one. Can we just have one impression? <laughs> Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> uh, which one?
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> Thank you so much. That's made my day. (laughs) So that's like, I guess, like a Donald Duck, Daffy Duck. I don't know what the difference between those two are. Donald's a white one. Is Daffy a- Black one. Yeah, Daffy's like Warner Brothers. Maybe Donald Duck is- Yeah, they're both Warner Brothers. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a Donald, I don't know, but thank you. (laughs) I'm going to isolate that clip as well and make it like a ringtone on my phone or something. Oh, yeah, good on you. (laughs) Every time I get a message from Ben. (laughs) So as we start to wrap up, I guess I- you know, we recorded an episode yesterday about um Andoya being 150 years and whoa, what is it, like 130-odd of those have been in the Hayes family. Yep. Your fifth generation, Nikita and the kids are six, and now you've got your first grandchild, so seventh generation. I just wonder what the – you know, it's such a, an amazing legacy, but I just wonder if I could ask you about, like, do you feel any pressure – to keep um, it going, I guess, you know, like it's been in the family for such a long time. Like do you feel like, did you ever feel like you had to come home or your brothers had to come home because like this is just what the Hayes do and then looking forward, do you ever think like, I hope this stays in the family forever?
2: Um, I do hope it stays in the family, uh, but I'm not holding a gun to anyone's head. Um,
1: Maybe a jigger to their bat? <laughs> probably,
2: probably. <laughs> um, I've always liked. To have my son take it over, to carry the Hayes name on Undoia, um, I've always been open about that. But if he doesn't want to take it over, I have I have no problems with either the four girls and their one of, and their husbands taking it over. Um, it's just how it is. Um, but yeah, I'd really like it to stay in the family name. Um, but I'd I'd like to always own Undoia. I've always said to Nicole and and the kids that while I'm alive, Andoya's not for sale, um, and it's probably a generational thing of, I'm, um, it's it's it is that generational thing where you got to got to keep it in the family, I suppose. But it's a funny place because, or well, funny funny feelings I get about it because I don't own it. It's. The family does, if you know what I mean. And what, and what I mean by that is my father's sister, she's 83 or four, hasn't lived here really since she was a kid, still calls it home. It's home. So it's not only home to me, it's home to the family. If you know what I mean? Like I'm only sitting here caretaking it for the family. I, oh yeah, fair enough. I own it and I run a business on it, but it's not mine to sell. It's a family's. So it's a funny feeling. Like it's always. Um, what could you call it you could travel the world but it's always home mm. somewhere to call home for for the whole family i suppose
1: does that add an extra layer of pressure on though say you're in an extended period of drought or something that kind of causes financial hardship and i mean i don't i don't know if you got if you've ever been in that place but say that that were to happen i think and like say This was, you know, your first generation here and this is the place. You're going to feel some kind of stress anyway, wanting to keep the place. But then you've got this legacy that you, you kind of like want to keep going because of all your family. But then also, I think, and also nobody wants to be the one to say lose the family property, but it's not just as if you, if you lost it that just for your family it's all the extended family as well like it, there's there's it's so much bigger than yeah than just it is
2: a, and when it's dry and everything else you think, oh god this is doing you're doing it a bit tough but when you see like that steer that just walked past and <laughs> you think oh god this is pretty good isn't it
1: <laughs> they are I just they're just so and like these aren't pets are they no. so where I mean I closed the gate when I came in but I all left, all left of it open and there's I mean, even yesterday out on the front lawn, like there's just cattle that have, they obviously graze around here. I have a water point around here, but they just come up to the homestead and they're chilling around and they're just so cool. Um, and they're, yeah, they that's, I guess, the other advantage for some people of when you have the same, um, whether it's the same family or whatever, you know, just the same vision over several decades. It takes so much time to breed cattle and to, to, get What you want, so by having a shared vision over such a long period of time, your family you've got a really great product or a really great animal right now. Whereas if you're chopping and changing every few years, yeah, you know? that's
2: right. And that and then and coming back down to undo you, like it is, it's just it's it's when it's dry and things are, the chips are down, it's pretty tough. You think, why do you do it? What else are you going to do? Really, it we don't know much else, which we're, we're stuck here, I suppose, <laughs> not stuck here, but it's it's home. We know we know when it's dry and it's bad. It's, it's it does get good, yeah. And, no. and and that's the beauty of it. You know it's going to turn around, and it's just just got to wait till it does turn around. And when it does, you, things you forget the shitty times, like yeah. And it's all the old photos that you see. You never see too many of drought, but you see plenty of grass mm. when it when rains. You, everyone goes mad taking <laughs> yeah, photos.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I just wondered. You know that it's it's wouldn't just be because i I had this on an episode recently with another gentleman who's fifth generation and i just wondered about like the pressures of you know being fifth versus first or second or you know whatever generation that do you really feel like you know you've got to keep it going because everyone else has and and even then just saying like it's not just about having the family here i just had a thought that you know with the cattle you've got that many generations of you know your genetics and everything else um you've got the the family um like museum in there which is Amazing. I actually want to come out and see all the stuff that you've got stored in trunks, but I suppose then you wonder, like, I'm sure you'd want plenty of your stuff to be in a museum that in five generations they're going to look back and.
2: Yeah, that's right. That is right. And I don't know. It just, it's, there is pressure, I suppose, to, to retain the family farm or property. Um, but at the end of the day, you've got to do what you've got to do. It's, it's life, isn't it?
1: Yeah.
2: I, I, like, I, I yeah, I don't, I don't want to sell them, do you? I don't never want to sell it. I'm hoping my kids take it on. I don't care which kid takes it on. I've always said Jamie to take it on because he keeps a Hayes name going, but if he doesn't want to, I'm not putting a gun to his head. One of the girls or their husbands can take it on. Um,
1: Luke Morris, if you're listening
2: or Regan White or, or
1: Regan White, um, or
2: Michael Keo or Nathan Stikey, any that, of
1: those yeah. boys. Um, it is not that un I mean it's a little bit uncommon but it does happen these days. You can change your last name yes. to Hayes. Just yes. saying.
2: We have to mention this to Regan. His lip has hit the ground.
1: What's, <laughs> what's his current last name? White. Um Regan White, Regan Hayes. I feel like Regan Hayes has a bit of a ring to it.
2: Yeah yeah I think you're right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well the wedding's not till August. There's still time to sort this out. Yeah so. I know there
2: is. <laughs> <laughs> but then, yeah, no, so I don't care. Like it's it can happen and um I just fancied like when the kids do come back, whoever does come back, they got to do a bit of an apprenticeship under you to learn the joint, to learn all the knick knacky things that has taken me a lifetime to learn. Like you don't just come into these places. Like there, there's things around that you got to f- work out where stuff is and how it all works, I suppose. Um, and you got to work out the business side of stuff. The business side of stuff probably more important than the, the, um, Day to day running of the property, the day to day running of the property, you can pay anybody to do that for mm-hmm. yourself. The business side's got to, that's what you've got to make money out of. Um, and, and it's got to be, and that's where it comes back to your businesses. We do it because we want to do it, but you also do it because it's got to have an end result of that you got to make money off it. You, you can't run a business and not make money. Otherwise you, you go broke real quick.
1: And what about for you? Like you say, while you're alive, and is not for sale, but I also know that this isn't necessarily where you want to be when you fall off the perch. No, which I, will never happen. I, I, <laughs> what a I, depressing I, comment. Sorry.
2: None, none of no hazes are buried on the property. Actually, there's nobody really? buried on the property. Yeah,
1: that's um, so interesting. Is that because you're so close to town? There was no yeah, excuse. Yeah, yeah.
2: And, and but we've always and and it's always been said that don't get buried on your property in case it gets sold, it makes it hard to move somebody to come and visit your grave. And I thought, oh, oh yeah, it's pretty true.
0: That's a fair point. Yeah.
2: So none of us are ever buried here. Um, I, what I mean by before, but whoever takes a place on, it's got to do a bit of an apprenticeship under you, learn how it all works and how everything goes. I'm not that old, but I'm not that young either. Um,
1: younger than Jennifer Lopez.
2: Yeah. She's doing all right too. Um, but I, I, I don't want to be branding calves when I'm 70. I'd like to get to 60 years old, and I don't want to retire because when you retire, you're going to look like dying. Um, and I don't I don't want to die at 60. Um, but when, oh, once I hit 60, I would like to have myself a, a block somewhere, I don't, southern part of Australia. It doesn't have to be big. Um, and I would like to spend the winters in Alice Springs helping whoever's running the property. Um, I'll, I'd come up and drive the grader drive the truck if they want a hand. They can fix the flat tyres. Um, I don't fancy lifting shitty truck cr- tyres and stuff when I'm 60. And and then spend the summers back down south. And, and I, I don't want to be – I don't want a big like if you have a big block down south, you got to find someone to look after that while you're up here. So, yeah, I, I don't – I just want to enjoy life, I suppose. When I hit 60, I want to just step back a bit and let the younger ones have a go. And that's where me brothers and I we were bloody lucky because my old man stepped back and let us have a go. And that was 20 years ago. He sort of well, a bit over, probably. He stepped stepped out of the light a bit, and 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 he was always there if you needed him. But he let us make our own decisions from a young age to run the joints at a young age. So. So when you, when you do fall off the perch, you know what you're taking on. Like you know how it works. It's like for me, I don't want to be working all my life and then fall off the perch and then nobody knows what the hell to do after that. Step back, let them have a go. They can, they mightn't do it the way you want it done, but it gets done. Who cares? As long as it's done.
1: I wonder, do you know how old your father was when your grandfather kind of stepped back and let him have a go?
2: Um, My grandfather fell off the perch bloody working.
1: Oh, okay. he was,
2: my grandfather was 73 when he fell off the perch. Um, and he had cattle in the yard working. My father and, and his brother Billy, um, they, they were working in the, in the business as well. They were partners in the business, working in the business. Um, he, but the grandfather was making a lot of decisions. And dad, oh, he's got to have been in his forties, I suppose, when Ted fell off the perch. But dad got to about 57 and, Retired, moved into town, and that's when Richie, Andy, and I, we took over the running of our businesses. And, um, and it worked well because we all worked together. Like Andy is at the gardens and I was here and Richie at the great farm. And if Richie needed hand picking in the picking season or whatever, we'd grab our blokes. We'd all nick down and we didn't actually go and pick because that's a shit job, but. We'd go and help drive the tractor, picking up the boxes to bring back in or you'd help each other out. Andy wanted to hand and We'd go out and help him mustering or he would come in and help me muster and it just makes life easier when, so you don't have to have big staff.
1: I'm just wondering where your dad got the, not the idea, but to be able to step back and let you guys take on a role while you're still sort of young and he's – you know, rather than hanging on until he's 80 because that's something that comes up a lot when I do, when the conversation of succession planning um, comes up with people that is, you know, like the parents don't want to hand over until like the last minute because I think, I know it's a very morbid thought, but I, I said this with someone last year that I wonder if the reason people are so hesitant to kind of hand over the reins and take a step back, you know, before they're 70 or 80 or whatever is because it's kind of a signal or symbolic of the beginning of the end. Like once you retire, it's like...
2: I think what it is... Is they don't like to let go of it because that's all they know, mm. and, and it's not only not, and that's their asset. That's farmers, mm. are cash poor, asset rich. And if you let it, and 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 I even now I have an issues to try and let the younger one. And I I'm stand back and I think yeah, you got to learn, you got to learn, and use your brain. Um, but to stand for an old farmer to let his sibling younger generation come in and take it on. He's generally got no money in the bank account. He's All his assets and money are tied up in that farm. If that kid comes along and stuffs it and loses that farm, mm. he's got nothing. And I think that's where it's hard for yeah. farmers to let the kids have a go. Um, and I suppose it comes back to, like, for us, Dad had trust in us. And he was always still across. He looked at everything, like on the finances and stuff. He knew what was happening. Like, we couldn't go and spend Million dollars without running it past him.
1: No new Land Cruisers.
2: No, like he he knew he knew what was happening. Like he, you didn't let anything sneak past. Like it's, he knew, and it sort of was good because it gives you the bit of a go, I suppose. Like it's, I don't know. You, it's good to have it. Very nice for him to give him, our parents to give us a go. I think it is. I think they've done a magnificent job letting us have a go because to let go and step back to let to of your asset. And and it'd be pretty nerve wracking when you because you you don't want to go and find a job at sixty years old because you're going your son's gone broke on the fa- yeah. farm and lost it on you
1: yeah no it's uh, it's very interesting and it, it's good to hear like a, a positive succession planning story because yeah often it's ones of heartache all that ends up with families kind of you know um, pulled apart so it's it's just really nice to be able to share a positive example. Uh before we do finish up with the final question I have just realized that in this whole conversation they've been mentioned they've been like referred to in passing but I never actually asked you about your kids which is a huge part of your life there's five of them I just thought you might just say one nice thing about each of them so that they don't listen to this and um because I think by name we've only mentioned two of them so. <laughs>
2: um we have Nicole so, and I have five children yeah um Nikita is the oldest followed by Michaela? I'm going
1: to say one nice thing about each of them, though. Okay. Yeah.
2: Nikita is Nikita's a very clever kid. She's, she's actually looking at her now being a mother. She's a great mum. Um, but Nikita is, she can drive a grader, she can drive a truck, she can weld, she can do anything. Like, Nikita is a very hands-on kid, um, very hands-on kid. She's She actually makes you very proud because she's so... Capable, if you know what I mean, she's a yeah. very capable kid. She she's like a mother, um, very determined, will not lay down and bloody roll over. It's she's very determined. Michaela, Michaela's a bubbly kid, enjoys life, kicks along, has fun, great kid too, can do anything. If they all my kids can. Now, all my kids I've actually I'm pretty happy with all my kids, very proud of all my kids. Because they can all do everything. Like they can drive bobcats. They can fix a tire. They can do, do everything. If you know what I mean, it's, they're not just, especially the four girls, the the four girls, they're not little princesses. They can all do, do everything. They're all unique in their own way. Um, and then you got Shannon. Shannon's a magnificent cook, can cook, keeps us all fed, works, it works in town, but. Look, runs a joint here at home. Like when we're out mustering and stuff, it's always nice to come home and Shannon's got a meal cooked for us, that sort of thing. Like she's – and then like she steps up to the plate really well. Tani's a quiet horse. She lives in Adelaide. Um, she's 21, tiniest little thing going. She's not much too tani. And, but she's just a bloody nice kid, really nice kid, um, does anything, can do anything. And Jamie, he's a big loose, pizzle bastard. No, he's all right. <laughs> he's, he's an absolute ripper, too. He's a good kid. Um, I have no idea where he comes from. I think the milkman might have snuck in there somewhere. He's six foot something. I have no idea where that's come from. And. Um, <laughs> what
1: were your stock agents like back in the I don't day? Oh, no,
2: not that tall, but he's like, I must have had a bit of energy the night he was conceived. I don't know something about him. I have no idea. He's huge, but in but he's a proper laid back, casual kid, and and um, nothing phases him. And he's the same as Nikita, sort of Nikita and Jamie, each end of the of the of the family in the kids. I suppose he's as laid back as laid back. Not a not a care in the world. But he can drive the truck. He's he can he's good at mustering. He's good. He's just really good with cattle and everything. And, and the other three in the middle uh, are magnificent as well. Like, I just love all my kids. I just very proud of my kids. Very proud of my wife. Do
1: you want a sixth one? No, I might have to. I love it. Just for the record, for everyone that obviously can't see us because this is an audio medium, not visual. Your eye, like. I mean, you've been looking this way for a little bit in the episode, but, like, you're all, like, teared up. And, oh, like, yeah, I'm, proud, oh, I'm so, proud of my kids. I know. It looks <laughs> like I've, like, normally I've made someone cry because I've upset them, but you're, like, you're, like, happy. Do- oh, they I'm are. Ha- happy oh, doing- my God. They are. The eyes are glassy. Oh, my God. I'm waiting for the first tear to roll down. Because <laughs> I'm very proud of my children. Someone's going to be like, what did you do on Sunday afternoon? Made, I made me upset. I made Benny Hayes cry. Oh, how'd you do that? Happy tears. I kicked him in the shins.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but they are They are very good kids. Um. And and um, I'm bloody lucky, really, because Nicole's a worker too. Like, she does not stop. She's on every committee. She works day and night with us. She's she's a champion, but don't tell her that like this. <laughs> she's just bloody – you've got to give her a bit of hard stick, though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I look forward to the answer to the final question then, which is looking back on your life so far, what would you say is the major takeaway lesson that you have learnt?
2: Enjoy life. You get one crack at it. Families first. I I have a saying where friends come and go, families forever, and that's probably why we are close. I suppose we just families. Families big for me. It is. It's everything. It's it really is everything. And and I just love my family. Love love all, everything about my family. Very proud of my family. I suppose they've no nobody's ever done anything wrong that I would have upset me or anyone else like there's they're very I'm very proud of them um, and yeah I'm, I'm happy with where we're going in life and what's happening in life